one other announcement I have. Uh, the new Calvary Chapel magazine is out. And uh, with this, every month they send us a little video if we want to show it or not. And uh, if you pick these up, and they're free, they're out there. The church buys them. They're not free. The church buys them. We, we buy I don't know, 10 or 12 copies or something every month for you to take. If you, it comes out uh, quarterly, every three months. If you like it, you can subscribe to it and have it sent to your house. Or you can just pick them up here. It's fine, whatever you want to do. But they sent a video this month that I thought was really, I enjoyed watching it. You know, I don't show, I've never shown one before, I don't think. But I wanted to kind of just show you. It's not too far from here. It's in the inner city of uh, southern New Jersey. So I just want to kind of show you what's going on with the Calvary Chapel there. And we're not trying to copy them in any way. We're, we're doing our own thing with what the Lord's called us to do. But I think it's really encouraging when we can look out and see, hey, what, else, what is God doing in other areas? And I just started uh, coming up here to the city. And I just went there to pray on that corner and seeing all kinds of craziness going on around me. But I realized something. The Bible says how beautiful the feet, not the seat. And we're talking about we pray and we pray. But if you pray and you never go, did we really pray? You know, when we first started, I ventured to knock on every single door and introducing myself, you know. And I think the people, that means something to them, that the pastor would come and knock on their door. Um, so I met Pastor Ray and I was drinking a 40 ounce of beer. I had long dreads and um, I had two little young shooters with me. You know, kids that would do exactly what I, whatever I say. No God in my life. A gun was my God. We begin to talk and he's like, yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm a child of God and so forth. And he can quote Psalms 23. I pretty much walked away saying this. The next time I see you, I challenge you not to just be quoting Psalms 23, but to be living it. I was like, you know, got a little mad, like, who, who do you think you are? Like, is you a cop or something? I thought I wasn't gonna never see him again after that. And the next thing he called me and he came back through and we became friends. And here's a guy, you don't see radical transformation, um, but he's not telling me he doesn't want to hear it. I grew up in high rise projects, I used to rap like a gangster, I guess you can call it. My friend was like, yo, you, you're the poetical gangster John Gotti. That's what we're going to call you. People was start to really treat me like my, like I was John Gotti. And the streets made me him. So next thing you know, people was coming up to me like, Gotti, what you want me to do? I said, huh, go rob brick towers. <laughs> and, they, and they would do it. Life in an individual is like a diamond. Maybe somebody took, you know, a, a trash load full of dong and just dumped it on you. Does the value of that diamond, does it lose its value? I don't believe so. But somebody has to be willing to dig through, right, and pull the diamond out. Because that life still has purpose. I can love people only to a certain extent. In my heart is simply, God, give me your heart of love today. He didn't get aggravated with me. Even though I seen it sometime in his face, like, this boy's head is hard. Like, come on. <laughs> Why do you continue to pursue a Rajan Dixon? In this generation, the people from the streets are not coming to the church. We gotta go get them. One of the things I believe that we've given people false hope is, we leave people, oh, well, Jesus loves you. And that is true. 
but that doesn't save souls. I want to give people Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's the message we need to communicate to this lost and dying world. Now I hear, now I understand the Word of God. Thank God for sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, healthy teaching. So God brought me out of the fire to pull others out of that darkness, you know what I'm saying? So that's my job, that's my duty, that's my purpose. God gave me my life back. My name is Rajan. God, he died. You know what I'm saying? Nailed him to the cross. I'm just not the same. I'm just not the same. This morning, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. We have been studying Paul's letter to the Galatians. We've been studying it in depth, and we've seen that Paul's standing on a principle. He's standing on on a doctrine that salvation comes through faith alone. And what we've seen take place in the Galatians, or what he's heard about that's taken place in the Galatians, is after Paul came there, he preached the gospel, they got saved, the Lord began to work in their lives. Now these Galatians, or these, these Gentile men, are now being drawn into the Jewish religion. They're being placed under Judaism. And Paul's basically refuting this, saying, hey, you don't need to go underneath of the law. The Lord Jesus Christ died to set you free from the law. You don't need, there's no longer a reason to put yourself under the law. And we, we've talked about how even us as Christians today, we're, well, while we're not being drawn to be under the Jewish law, some, some people are. There, are there, there is movement within Christianity that where they're keeping the feasts and they're beginning to do a lot of the Jewish things. And Paul says, you don't need to do that. You, you have liberty, your freedom. And, but we, we've also likened that to the fact that we place laws and burdens on ourselves, and, that's, and, we, and if we live up to that, we think we're doing good before the Lord. But if we fail to live up to our own law, our own standards, we find ourselves, well, we just didn't live up to it. And it's not even a standard the Lord placed on us. It's something that we've placed on ourselves. And Paul began, uh, or last week we looked at the argument that he made in, in chapters 3 and 4. He makes this doctrinal argument about, about uh, the promise being made to Abraham. In his seed, all nations will be blessed. And we talked about how it, the nations were blessed by the seed of Abraham, that seed being Jesus Christ. And they, we talked about how if, you're, if you want to be part of the family of Abraham, you, you get into that family through faith in Jesus Christ, not by being born in a Jewish household. And, and he's, he basically sums it up in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through, G- through Christ, through Jesus Christ. So he's basically saying, hey, listen to the church in Galatians. Listen, men, ladies, you are a son of God or a daughter of the Lord. Not because you did anything to deserve it, because Jesus Christ did something. And earlier in the chapter, because of your faith in Jesus Christ. We even mentioned last week the phrase, aren't we all sons and daughters of God? Some people would say that. No, we're all God's creation, but to be a son or a daughter of God, that has to be faith. That's what the scriptures tell us. He's taking this morning, we're going to see, he leaves this sort of theological, doctrinal argument, and he's done a fantastic job at it, and he's going to appeal to them personally. He's, going to, he's, he's leaving the argument just for a moment here, in the, in the verses we're going to look at this morning, he's going to appeal to them personally. Listen, you guys know me. I know you. Let's talk about what's happened, what's taken place. And we're going to pick up this morning in chapter 4, verse 12. You know what, let's do this. Let's read down to verse 20, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss it. Starting in verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. 
You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. It's good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone. For I have doubts about you. Do you see, he leaves the doctrinal perspective and he's appealing to them personally. The first thing he makes, the first statement he makes in verse 12 is he says, brethren, brothers, brothers and sisters, family, let's discuss this. Let's talk about this. Maybe you didn't follow the doctrinal argument. Let me just share, let me share my heart with you. This is Pastor Paul's perspective to his people. This is his, to his congregation. I've made the doctrinal argument. I've told you why it all works out in the Old Testament. Now let me just share with you what I see going on in your lives. What I see going on in your lives. He says, brothers. And then he says something. I, I just love it. I urge you to become like me. How many of you would witness to somebody that way? How many of you would go to somebody and say, hey, I, I, you want to be a Christian? Be like me. Be like me. He says, I became like you. I I set aside these Jewish laws so I could become like you. I urge you to become like me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he would say it this way, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Does it kind of scare you to tell somebody, be like me? Hey, could you witness to somebody like that? Hey, be like me. Come, Come be like me. Follow me as I follow Christ. You go, well, I don't know if I could. Why not? Why not? What is it that if somebody was like you, what would they learn about God? Let me ask you that question. What is it if somebody was like me, if somebody was like you, what would you teach them? What could they see about God? Maybe, maybe they would see your faith. Maybe they'd see your faith and you'd say, wow. You know, as they watch, they become like you. They begin to step out in faith. Maybe they see that in your life. Maybe they would see you worship. Some of you guys came in this morning just with a heart to worship. I see hands going in the air and I see people worshiping. Maybe they would look at and say, wow, I need to be be worshiping like them. By the way, just on a side note, I I, I mention this from time to time. Is it okay to put your hands in the air to worship? Absolutely. Do I have to put my hands in the air to worship? No. Can I worship with my hands in my pocket? Sure. It's okay. That, is it okay? You know, that becomes kind of a thing. When, how, how much can we do and how, can we, how, how do we know what's okay and what's not okay for worship? It's real easy. If you're distracting the person next to you, you're not worshiping. You're, becoming, you're drawing attention to yourself. But is it okay for me to stand before my God and raise my hands like I would at a football game to my football team? Absolutely it is. But that can be done with the wrong heart as well too, can't it? I can want to impress somebody spiritually, and I can stand there and worship before God like I'm impressing somebody, but my heart can be far from Him. And you can look across the aisle, and there might be somebody standing there with their hands in their pockets. And they're barely singing the words. But inside, 
the worship has taken place. So it's not about our, our, our position. It's about what happens in our heart. Some people say, well, I can't worship. There's no worship band. Well, there's three components. There's God, there's music, and there's you. If you take the band away and you can't worship, there's something missing. We don't worship the, you're worshiping the band if you miss that too much. Now, someday we will have a worship band, but we, God hasn't blessed us with one yet. Someday we will. But the, the, the point is the condition of my heart needs to be worshiped. Can somebody learn that from you? If they came with you to church this morning and they could see inside your heart, be like me, worship like me, could you, could you say that? You say, well, some say, yeah, I, I think I could. See, you're not as bad as you think you are. Maybe they would learn all about repentance from you. Maybe they would become like you and they'd be say, wow, they're always repenting. They're always asking for forgiveness. That's a good thing. Paul was in no way saying, I'm perfect. Paul was in no way saying, I've got it all right. I've got it, everything done perfectly. I, I'm no longer a sinner. Paul's not saying that at all. He said at the beginning of his ministry, he declared, I'm a sinner. At the end of his ministry, do you know what he declared? I'm the chief of all sinners. That was his heart. Paul's not saying, um, Paul's saying simply this, follow me as I follow Christ. All my imperfections along the way. But I think what happens is when we look at our lives and go, uh-uh, I don't want to tell anybody to follow me. I think you're looking to your actions for your right standing before God. You could be. You could be looking to how you act, how you react to certain situations. People can learn all kinds of things for you. Maybe they could learn forgiveness from you. Maybe they could come before you and, yeah, yeah, you might be sin once in a while. It's okay. That's what we have grace for. They can learn grace. They can learn repentance. They can learn forgiveness. But I think that sometimes we say, or we think, I don't want anybody to be like me. And then I have to ask the question, why not? Nobody says you have to be perfect. But if you're following Christ, why wouldn't you want people following Christ with you? Why wouldn't we want them coming alongside Nobody says we have to be perfect. I would never say, oh, I'm just like the Apostle Paul. No, I'm not like the Apostle. i got a long way to go before I'm like the Apostle Paul. But I'm following the Lord. I make mistakes, but I'm following. Follow. Will you come alongside and follow? So he makes this appeal to him. He says, hey, brethren, become like me because I became like you. I did it. I became like you. In other words, Paul's reminding them, listen, I've done the Jewish thing. I was a persecutor of Christians. I know what it's like. God set me free from that in Jesus Christ. Now you're trying to go back under it. Trust me, it's not what you think. It's not, all, it's not, it's not great like you think. It's not making you more spiritual is what he's saying. Become like me for I've become like you. And then he says a statement here. You, you have not injured me at all. Why would he say that? You haven't injured me at all. Because this letter was meant to be read from beginning to end. And Paul has said some pretty harsh things there in this letter. He's called them what? Foolish Galatians. He's called, he said that anybody's teaching any other doctrine, let them be accursed. He had some pretty harsh words for them. So really what he's saying is, hey, you haven't injured me. I'm not offended. You haven't hurt my feelings. I'm not writing this letter because you've offended me in some way. He's writing this letter because he cares about them. If he didn't care about them, he wouldn't be writing the letter at all. He'd be on to the next church. But he's writing this letter out of love for them. He said, I wanted to get it straight. I'm not mad at you. I'm not offended by you. I'm simply writing this letter because I love you deeply. And I've seen God work in your life, and you're getting off on the wrong track. 
You're going in the wrong direction. You're, you're, you're buying into things that you think are going to be good and a blessing, but they're going to be a burden and difficult for you. And he said, I just want to protect you. I just want to protect you. And then he's going to do something cool. He says, become like me. And now he's basically going to tell them, listen, I want you to remember what it was like when we first met. I want you to remember how I got there. I want you to remember what it was like when you first got saved, because sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we can become so theological and we want to get smart and we study and we learn and we forget the basic principle. Remember the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation, you've left your first love. We can leave the first, the first saving grace. We can, we, can, we can just cherish it, and then we, all of a sudden we can become, well, I need to become smarter. It becomes about works. It becomes about this. And No, no. It, can be, it needs to be about Jesus Christ. That's what it needs to be about. So he says this to him. Remember, he says, you know, in verse 13, that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. Now, this is a big one where we try to figure out what was Paul's physical infirmity. What is it that Paul's problem was? Paul had the vocabulary to tell us what it is, but we don't know what it is. There's speculation on what it is, but it really doesn't even do any good to speculate. Some people think that he was epileptic. Some people think that he was depressed. Some people think that it was his eyes. Some people think that he had a form of malaria. This is why he came to the higher, higher elevation of Galatia to try to get some relief of these symptoms from this form of malaria. There's a whole number of reasons out there, but he never really tells us what they are. And there's nothing, there's nothing, in, there's no concrete evidence for us to know. But if you're curious about it, you could spend days reading Bible, stu- Bible scholars' opinions on why they think it is. And you know what you'll find is you go, yeah, I agree with that. You go to the next one, yeah, I could see that too. And yeah, that, that one makes sense too. And you can kind of go from one to the other and you'll say, yeah, okay, so what is it? I don't know. That's what you end up going with. I don't know. You can make an opinion, but it doesn't really matter. He's saying to them, listen, I came to you with physical infirmity. I came to you sick. I came to you burned. I came to you with a, with a problem with my physical appearance. But I didn't rest. What does he say he did? I came to you with physical infirmity. I preached the gospel to you at first. I saw that you, I was sick, but you were in need of the gospel, so I preached it to you. I preached it to you. I didn't come up here and go, well, I need to take six, you know, see me in six months after I recover. Let me get my life back on order. Let me get my health back. Then I'll teach the God. No, I'm sick, but I'm going to share the gospel with you anyways. I came to you with physical infirmity. I preached the gospel to you at first. And he says this about his trial, which is his infirmity. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Paul said, I came to you sick. I came to you with a physical infirmity. You didn't despise it. You didn't reject it. You actually received me. You you took me and you treated me like I was an angel of God. You treated me like I was Jesus Christ himself. Why is he selling all this? Because he's appealing to them out of love. He's reminding them of the relationship they once had. They're trying to turn away and say the apostle Paul's gospel is wrong. That it's, it's incomplete. There needs to be something added to it. And Paul's saying, wait a minute. Let's go back and remember when we first met. I labored for you. I came to you in illness. I preached the gospel to you. Look what I've done and the way that I've shared with you. And he says, even as Christ Jesus, verse 15, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? In other words, he's asking, remember the blessing. Remember receiving the Holy Spirit. Remember the salvation. Remember what you received for I bear witness that if possible, 
you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's a figure of speech, because what good would it do for somebody to take out their eye and hand it to somebody else? If he did have an eye problem, which this is where some people think that he had an eye problem, what good would it do for me to pluck out my eye? It's not like they had you know, laser surgery like we do today. To take out my eye and hand it to somebody else, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't help him with his eyes. But he's saying this is the condition of your heart. You were so willing to help me, you would have done anything to help me. Remember the relationship that we once had. Remember the relationship. When I introduced you to Christ and you got saved, do you remember that relationship? Or are you drifting away from it like they are? Are you adding to it? And it, it applies to us today too. Have we drifted from our relationship with Jesus Christ? Has our, our religion or our faith become all about what we're doing? Has it become all about where we're serving? Has it become all about you know, our ministry? Has it become all about everything going on around us? Or is it simply our love for Jesus Christ? Sometimes it's good to go back to the early days. Sometimes after you've been saved for a number of years, you forget what it's like. And you become a boring Christian. You can't watch a video like that and go, yeah, just another guy got saved. That's, that's, that's salvation. That, 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 that young man was taken off the streets with guns and drugs and everything else that he was doing that we watched. That's exciting to me. I need to see that because it remembers, it reminds, it remembers me, it reminds me what God does in the lives of people that are willing to turn to him. It blows me away. Wow. You'd look at him on the corner. Most of us would drive right by and never go, oh, I'm getting out of this neighborhood. But that pastor goes, no, that's my neighborhood. I'm going to the streets. I'm going to him. It didn't happen. It wasn't like he walked up to the corner and said, hey, do you want to get saved? Nope. See you later. I'm sure it was a long time. I haven't read the article yet, but I'm sure it was, it, was a, it was a relationship that had to be built. And as he built the relationship, he poured in the word of God into that man's life. As he did that, he got saved. Did you see the smile on his baptism picture? Yeah. Is that not a different person coming out of the water? That's what God does. That's what he does. Paul's reminding the Galatians, remember what it was like when you got baptized. Which I'm sure doesn't tell us they were, but I'm sure they were. Remember that. Go back to that. And I think we need to take... Take heed sometimes that we don't get too far from that. Because the longer we walk with the Lord, the more our relationship can become about what we're doing for Him and not what He's done for us. It can be all the good things we're doing. We're serving here and we're in prayer and we're at midweek Bible study and we do all that stuff. But sometimes it's just nice to go back and remember what God did for us. Because every one of us, if you've come to Christ, we're stuck in sin, in the bondage of sin. And then that was released when you believed on Jesus Christ. That smile is not made up. That, that, that picture was beautiful. That, that, that heart was just like, wow, he's a different person. Same neighborhood. What did you do? Add God. Add Jesus Christ to his life, and it changed him. Unbelievable. So Paul's saying, he says, look, become like me. Then he says, remember what it was like when you first got saved. And then in verse 16, he asked this question. Have I there be, therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? If someone shares the truth with you and you don't like it, your tendency is to make them your enemy. Paul says, I am sharing the truth with you. Check out my motivation. Check out my motivation. I came to you when you didn't know Christ. I came to you sick. I preached to you while I was sick. You got saved. We, we, lived, we worked together. I watched God work in your life. What's my motivation? We're going to see the answer to that question shortly. But then he turns to the other side. The Judaizers that have come to try to bring them back into the Jewish side. He says, listen, in verse 17, they, 
zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. Notice what's going on here. There's people, there's men coming into the church in Galatia, and they're zealously courting the believers. Zealously courting. You know what that means? That means they're really buttering them up. That means they're telling, them really, they're telling them really nice things. Oh, God's got such great plans for you. Oh, they want to hear everything they have to say. It's, it's this form of, we want to draw people in to what we're doing. The cults do that today. Street gangs do that when they recruit their members today. You want to make them feel welcome. You want to bring them in. They're zealously courting. Young men do that after their girlfriends. They zealously court. They, that's why it goes away. After you get married, and this, you did, we used to say all those things, and we did all those. No, that's the zealously courting part. It's, it's zealous. It's, it's, I want to tell you what you want to hear so you'll come part of the group. It was actually given a name. I guess it was, maybe you've heard of it. You ever heard of love bombing? That's what it was called back in, I think, the, like the 80s, 90s. It was called love bombing. Even, even some churches did it. We're going to try to bring people in, and we're going to overflow them. We're going to, we're going to love on them so much, we're going to bring them in. But it wasn't real. It was to bring them into an organization. Notice this. The motivation of these men is to zealously court these people. And they want to, it says they want to exclude you. That means they want to exclude Paul. They want to cut Paul out of the picture. They want to zealously court them in verse 17 that you may be zealous. You may be zealous for who? For them. We want you to be zealous for our organization. We want you to be zealous for our, our as a pastor. Don't, don't, don't worry about God. Be zealous for me. Be zealous for our church. No, that's not the way it should be. That's a, that's a motivation that is, that is, that is from, from Satan. It's not about the church. It's about the people. Let me say that again. The church, our church exists for you. You don't exist for our church. When organizations grow, it becomes about the organization. Therefore, they say, we've got to go get people to maintain the budget of this organization. That's a problem. Because it becomes about the pastor. It becomes about the ministries. It becomes about the building. It becomes about the school. It can become about all these things that are, that are, that are good things. But the motivation, the focus is gone. The focus of a church needs to be the people. First and foremost, it needs to be the people. Paul was trying to develop, look what it says in verse 19, my little children who, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, my motivation is I want to see Christ formed in you. Their motivation is they want to see you build their organization. They want to see you come to them. They want to see you take over. They want to see you build what's going on. <coughs> As a pastor, I have to check that regularly. It's easy when we're a small church. And there's not a lot going on. But it gets harder as a church grows bigger and bigger. Because it can become about the church. It can become about the ministry. But I hope, and I hope you guys will hold me accountable, that it never becomes about our building, our radio ministry, any of the things that we're doing. It becomes about you, the people. It becomes about you guys. That's why we don't ever do fundraisers. That's why we don't ever do... Some of, the, some of the things that we don't, you know, what, we don't do fundraisers because I don't want you to think it's about the organization. Not that fundraisers are wrong, it's okay. But I want you to be able to come here and sit before the Lord and not feel burdened by the thermometer on the wall that says we have to, we have to make this much money this, or, or the building's going to close down. Quite honestly, if that's the case, the building should close down. 
If we can't maintain the budget, then we've done something wrong, or the Lord's trying to shut something down, and we're trying to keep it running. Sometimes things need to close. Ministries need to end sometimes. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be, it, it's an okay thing to happen from time to time. But from a leadership perspective inside of a church, if it ever becomes about what we're doing and not about the people, then we've failed. Then we've begun, then we, that will lead us to begin to zealously court the people. So they'll be zealous about the organization. We don't ever want to be zealous about an organization. Not that you're not, Paul says here in verse, uh, in uh, Verse, what did I, verse 18. It's good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you. Zealousy is good. Zeal is good. Excitement is good. You know, do you think that the gentleman that we watched was zealous for the Word of God? Yeah. He wasn't zealous for Christ the Rock, Calvary Chapel Church. He was zealous for Jesus Christ. My heart and my goal is like Paul's. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you to grow in the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ together. I don't care what happens to the church as, as a whole. I'm not interested in talking to the people that aren't here. I want Christ to grow in you. If, if the Lord Jesus Christ adds to this church and grows it, great, fantastic. But I'm focused on who's here, the, those that are in front of me. That's where I want to see Christ grow in you guys. And I believe that's accomplished by the teaching of God's Word. I believe that as you look at this and I say to you this morning, hey, can you tell people to be like you? Why not? Do something about it if you can't. Maybe you could, but you just have the wrong perspective of who you are. You, I am a worshiper. They would learn to repent. They would learn forgiveness. That's okay. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. But know who you are before the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that you stand before God righteous. So Paul says, listen, my motivation is to see Christ in you. That's what I want to do. I want to see Christ in you. Their motivation is they just want to bring you into their organization so you'll be zealous for them. Can that happen in a church today? I'll give you a couple of examples, and I, I don't mean this offensive to anybody, and I don't mean just because I say this. It's your mind goes to a certain person. It doesn't mean that they're this way. But if, as a pastor, all I did was promote myself. All I did was promote myself. Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but if, if my focus is promoting myself, then I'm trying to make you zealous for me. Now, I can use those same things to promote Christ. I can use those, those, those are same tools that can be used. Or if every time you come to church, all you're hearing is about the organization needs this. We, organization needs that. The, the church needs this. The church needs that. Be careful. It could be, it could be that somebody is trying to court you to be zealous for an organization or for a person when really, as believers, what we need is Christ developed in us. That's going to come through the teaching of God's Word. That's why we do things a little differently than other churches. That's why we're not like all the other churches. That's why we don't take an offering. That's why we don't do fundraisers. We've, we've, we've built our radio station and never asked for a dollar. Isn't that amazing? We've never put up a thermometer. We've never asked for a dollar. God said, move. God said, do this. And we did it, you know, one step at a time. But I don't have to come up here and say, come on, guys, you need to do this. Where God guides, God will provide. But I could, just as, just as if we're not careful, our church could become about a ministry. And that's a dangerous place to be. It has to be about Christ in you. So let me ask you this question. Is Christ being formed in you? Is he being formed in you? 
Or don't you want anything to do with them? Is, is, do you see Christ? Do you see yourself changing? You see, we have a tendency to be pretty hard on ourselves, don't we? When I said to you, would you want to tell somebody to be like you, a lot of heads went like this. We tend to be hard on ourselves. But let me put it to you a different way. Are you the same person you were last year? Have you changed? Are you the same person you were two years ago? Or five years ago? Or six months ago? Or three months ago? Or even a month ago? Or even a week ago? You see, if Christ is being formed in us, we're going to see that change in our life. It's going to affect everything about us. And it's going to change us in his timing, not ours. And what a blessing it is to watch the Lord change somebody. The testimony that we saw, that's a changed life. Yours looks like that too. It just wasn't done with fancy music and editing and, and everything else. Somebody could do a similar testimony with yours. You might not say, well, I was you know, on the street corner you know, slinging dope or you know, carrying a gun or things like that, but your life has the same, it's the same testimony. It's just, just different circumstances. Christ, Christ, Paul says, listen, I want Christ to be formed in us. That's what I want for us. I want to be a fellowship of believers where Christ is being formed in us. Not that we're trying to do anything great. We're just, we're just people that get together that want to study God's word. Let it affect our lives. Let Christ form in us. And let it, Lord, what do you want us to do next? If we can do that and we can continue to do that, we'll be successful. Success doesn't come on numbers. It doesn't come on how big or how small we are. Success comes on lives being changed on the people sitting in the seats. If our life is being changed because we gather and we meet here and we study God's word together, that's successful. I don't care how big or small we are as a group. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch happen. It's happened in my life, and fortunately, I'm blessed by the fact that I get to see it happening in so many of your lives. As I watch it unfold, I could probably sit around and talk, I, 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 because I know you, and we're still small enough where I get to know everybody, I know what God's doing. I know what he's done. I know where you've been. I, I, I've seen it happen. It's a blessing. You know what it does for me? It builds my faith. Because seven years ago when we were packing up the U-Haul and moving up to Maryland to start a church, I never imagined you guys would be sitting here. I always kind of thought in the back of my head, maybe this won't work out. We'll just go back to Florida. But I see it happening, and it's not the size. It's the hearts and the lives that are changed. And I just look, and I mean, I, 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 could, I won't do it, but I could call you out by name and just share what God's done. One after the other. Becky shared her testimony at the ladies' luncheon uh, yesterday. I haven't heard it. Um, I'm going to listen to it, but I haven't heard it. If you haven't, it's online. Um, but it's just what God did in her life. It's, it's in, she, she's right in our midst. You know, It just wasn't done in a way where it was fancy editing and movies and, and an article in a newspaper magazine. or a, a, It wasn't an article in a magazine, but God is still working in our lives today. Don't ever forget that, that he's still working. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that we're not the same people that we were just a short time ago. Father, we look forward to you completing that work that you've begun. Lord, may our lives be a testimony to others. May our testimony bring other people to you. May this church be a place always about Christ, Christ in the hearts of his people. In Jesus' name, amen.